You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. This week we are kind of continuing our new series, Walk. Tyler, last week, was sharing with us about baptism, about faith, like about the beginnings of this kind of walk with Jesus. And um, the the whole series, it's over the next kind of um, couple of months, and the whole series is, is just about our walk with God, how we live for him. You know, it's, it's kind of some stuff might be like going over the basics, some stuff might be going over some of the more deep stuff. In life groups, we're going to be going over um, things about the kind of the gifts of the Spirit, all that kind of stuff. Um, all this kind of stuff that helps us with our walk with God and, and how we live for Him. So we'll see how it goes. Um, this week, um, I'm talking about fuel for the journey. And so I've not got a fancy PowerPoint this week, so it's just that picture, so you have to be kind of okay with that. But I like that picture, it's a nice one. Um, so we talk about fuel for the, for the journey. Um, has anyone ever been on a road trip? Been on a, a road trip? A road trip? Like, I mean, in a car, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would that would be a long a long walk. So most of us most of us have been on a road trip. So when you go on a road trip, what do you? How do you prepare for your road trip? What, snacks. What kinds of snacks? Chocolate. Petrol's not a snack. Petrol's not a snack. Um, Although I'd be quite—I'm quite worried about your road trips now. Um, So we got—we got chocolate. We've got sustaining snacks like water. AA card. You check check your tires. um, Check your tires are working kind of and full and all that kind of make sure you got some screen wash because you're going to get like bugs on your windscreen or uh, we we were um it's probably about a year ago we were in canada i think um kind of on a bit of a ministry trip over there and we got so many bugs on the windscreen and it was it's a, it's crazy you, you, these they were big things some of these and you're not supposed to wipe your window because it just smears them all over so we were driving, and Tyler was doing all the driving, so we were driving for like hours at a time, and just got more and more bugs on this wind, and so we'd pull into a garage and he'd get this special squeegee out that they had there, you just wipe it all off and, and stuff, but um, when I was, um, I don't know, could, could we maybe shut the, the doors, is that alright if we just shut these these uh, front doors here? Um when I was a few years ago, a few years, a couple of years ago, um, I used to go on quite regular road trips um, as part of a band, and we, we kind of toured around the UK, um, did all sorts of stuff like in the back of a transit van with all this gear around us and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And we had a kind of set thing that we'd do. So I would arrive about ten o'clock in the morning. I'd arrive at the the guy who was driving the van's house. And I'd unload all my drum kit, put it in the back of the van. We'd get in, we'd go to the station to pick up another couple of guys. Um, and then we'd go to the garage and I'd buy some food that wasn't particularly good or healthy. Um, and then we'd fill up 
the van with fuel, diesel, actually not petrol, um, and we would be ready to go on our journey. And so I say all that to say, really, it's wise to fuel up before we go. It's wise to fuel up before we go, before we sort of head out on that journey. And um, as I was thinking about this and thinking about kind of our walk with God and how that all fits together, um, I was kind of led to um, 1 Kings 19. And so I don't know if you've got a Bible, if you want to get that up in front of you. Um, If not, then um, just listen along and we'll kind of go through it. So I'm kind of reading the first the first bit is verses 3 to 9, and then we'll read a bit later than that, um, kind of after as well. So 1 Kings 19, verses 3 to 9 says this. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom, broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that the Lord prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He travelled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So I was thinking about about that for a second, and Elijah needed physical food for his physical journey he had to get up he had to he had two meals lasted him 40 days so they were pretty good meals but he had two meals kind of to refuel him before he then went on with his journey and he was sent on this journey to go up to the mountain um, to go up to the mountain of god and there he waited in a cave so that's where we're at in the story so far what I what I found really interesting with that is that going up to the mountain was not the end of the journey, and we'll read on and we'll kind of discover the rest of, of kind of Elijah's journey as we read on. But going up the mountain was not the end of the journey. Going up the mountain was the beginning of the journey that he needed to make, and he needed to have physical fu- food, physical fuel to to fuel him so he could take that journey, go up the mountain. But what going up the mountain was, it was the end of Elijah's natural. It was the end of what Elijah could do in the natural. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, when we get to the end of us, that's where God steps in. When we get to the end of our natural, that's when God adds his super to our natural. Does that make sense? And so the journey didn't end there. The journey didn't end on the on the mountain. There was another step, another stage to it. So we'll continue reading, just where this where this kind of goes. So Elijah's up there. He spent the night in a cave, and 
from the rest of verse 9 to, I think, 16, it says this. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's interesting, he doesn't answer the question, does he? What are you doing here? He tells him what he's done, what he's already done in the past. Anyway, so the Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Didn't learn. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, oh sorry, Hazael, there we go, over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, over Abel, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Annihilated those names there. Sorry about that. But there's a point. I'm just going to put this down here a second. Um, see, the journey didn't end on the mountain. The journey, the mountain gave Elijah commission to go mission to go and do something. See, Elijah needed spiritual fuel for the second leg of the journey. His actual journey was to go back from where he'd, came, where he'd come from. But he needed to get to the mountain first because he needed to hear the voice of God. He needed to be in the presence of God to be fueled up spiritually for the journey to do the thing that God had called him to do. And my question really is, why... Do you want to hear the voice of God? You ever thought about that? It's a slightly, could be a dangerous question. What's the reason that we want to hear the voice of God? Do you want to hear it? And if you do, what's the reason? Is it to make you feel good about yourself? Is it to kind of, it's just because you want to be in that presence of God, you want to hear, hear his voice? The reality is, for Elijah, it changed everything because it, it commissioned him to go and do something. See, the voice of God was a dangerous thing. Think about Moses in the burning bush experience. The voice of God gave him commission to go and do something. 
you can go through kind of a whole host of I'm just it's just kind of flooding to memory of, of different things that where the voice of God speaks and it's a commission to go and do something. It's not it's not kind of recorded where the voice of God is is just there to kind of make you feel good for the sake of making you feel good. I mean I'm sure it's good and it makes us feel good. But there's purpose behind it. There's purpose in his voice. And I, I, I was kind of thinking about it like this. The voice of God is not the purpose of the journey. The voice of God gives purpose to the journey. Does that make sense? There's purpose in his voice. So if there's purpose in his voice, and if the voice of God gives purpose to our journey, how does God speak to us today? Because surely if God speaks to us, that fuels us up for the journey, right? That fuels us up for, with, with our walk with God. So how does God speak to us today? So we're going to be in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, and I think it's verses 1 to 3. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So how does God speak to us today? What does it say in Hebrews? Through his son. Interesting. So we're going to look into that just a little bit. See, God speaks through Jesus. Today, or in these last days, as it says in Hebrews, God speaks through Jesus. Now, if you were to go over to John, if you were to go over to John chapter 1 and verse 14, you see that Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. Now what, if, if I want to, if I want to give you a word, what do I, what do I do? I can either write it down or I can speak, I can speak it out. Jesus is referred to as the Word of God, right? Or maybe the voice of God, maybe we could put it in that terms. And it says in, in, chapter, in chapter 1 of John, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's interesting that the, the word dwelt is actually, in the Greek, the word tabernacled. So the, the presence of God tabernacled among us in Christ. Maver was saying earlier when we were talking about communion, about like the presence of God being behind the veil. Well, if you go right back into the Old Testament, the presence of God was in the tabernacle. That's where you met with God. That's where you kind of heard from God. That's where, you know, Moses goes to the entrance of the tent and has these kind of conversations with God again and again, because that's where the presence of God is in the tabernacle. Interestingly, 
the word becomes flesh and tabernacles amongst us. In other words, the presence of God in Christ is here on earth at that point. Now, I was kind of I was kind of wondering about like we talk about we talk about kind of the 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 veil tearing and all that kind of stuff. I I wonder about about Jesus and the presence of God coming in and tabernacling in in Christ. And then beyond that, the spirit of God is poured out on all believers. I now this is take this with a pinch of salt because this is just my thought it's not like a it's not like a profound theological truth but i wonder whether the presence of god is is opened up at the point that the um, the veil is torn and, and spread out to all believers or whether it's in christ from his incarnation and that tearing of the veil just reveals that the presence is in christ So the presence of God, the the word of God, the kind of God speaking tabernacled and dwelt amongst us. But we often talk about other ways that, that kind of God speaks to us today. Um, we we use the word through his word. And when we talk about through his word, we often mean the Bible, the written kind of scriptures. And if you were to go over to 2 Timothy 3.16, it would say, that all scripture is inspired or God breathed. Now, interestingly, this word in the Greek is a really cool word because it's a combination of the word God, theos, and spirit, pneuma. So it's theonustos is the actual word. So theonustos. And in a sense... That's God-spirited. It's a combination of those two words. God-spirited, the breath of God, the very presence of God, breathes into the written scriptures. And in the Old Testament, we have this word, ruach, wind kind of thing, meaning the, the wind, the breath of God, you know, the, the wind of God, the breath that breathes into kind of Adam and Eve, the, the breath that kind of, um, in Ezekiel 37, that is breathed into um, the dry bones that brings life. It's the breath of God that brings life. It's the spirit of God that brings life. And in the New Testament, we have this word pneuma, again, kind of carrying that sense of the spirit of God. And so all scripture is God-spirited. It's kind of carrying something of God. And I kind of think all of these things, they kind of converge together a little bit when you flip back over to Hebrews and go to Hebrews 4, verses 12. It says, the word of God is alive and active. The same word, the Greek word logos, in John 1 is the same word in Hebrews 4, 12, which is the Logos of God, the Word of God, is alive and active. In other words, Jesus carrying the presence of God. The God-breathed, God-spirited words 
are alive and active and doing something. So when God speaks, it's through his spirit. And it may be something that's written down. But we, car- we, we experience that, that presence of God. See, Jesus, not the written words, is what's speaking. The written words are God-spirited. They're, they're, they're through the breath of God. You can, you can take these words and put them down. And, you know, you can, you can write something out that sounds very kind of Bible-y in, if you want to write, you know, a, a, a book or something like that. Or you can, you know, you've got all these non, um, non-scriptural books that are kind of, there's a reason that they're rejected. There's a reason that they're not in the text. It's because they're not God-spirited. They're not breathed by God. They're not the words of God that are speaking to us, that are alive and active, that are actually doing something. See, when you're in the presence of God is when you'll hear his voice. And I would say when you're in the presence of God, you will hear his voice. Now, whether we decide to listen or not is another matter. When Elijah heard the gentle whisper, the still small voice, as it says in some translations, he had a choice to not go to the edge of the cave and listen to what God was saying and listen to the call and commission of God. He had a choice to not do anything about it. But actually, he made that decision to listen to hear because it actually says in in um, the passage in kings that he he needed to be in the presence of god when he went up to the mountain he went up to the mountain to be in the presence of god so if he's in the presence of god he's going to hear his voice but it's up to him what he does about it it's up to him whether he listens or does anything with what god's saying And it's up to us whether we listen when we're in the presence of God. How often do we get in the presence of God is another complete other question. And that's, you know, if you're not getting into the presence of God, if you're not reading his word, if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not worshipping, whatever, then I would suggest do that. That would be a good start, right? But we need to come into the presence of God if we want to hear his voice, if we want to hear his word. We want to hear what he wants to say to us. Come into his presence because that is how we get fuel for the journey. That's what makes the walk with God actually work. So we can maybe go so far on our own. But if we don't put enough fuel in the car, we're only going to get so far. We're not going to get to the, to the point that we want to get to. We're not going to get to the destination. And how many of you know that along the way, if you're running low on fuel, what do you do? Fill it up. Where'd you fill it up? At a petrol station. So what is the voice of God? It's our petrol station. You got you got to fill up along the way. You know I can be fueled for the journey for for so long for for a little amount of time, and I can make these steps. I can go on this journey. I can start my walk with God. If I don't fuel up my vehicle i don't know how far this analogy is going to go um (laughs) but if i don't fuel up along the way i'm not going to get to the destination so that means i need i need to be in his presence i need to be in his presence to hear his voice to know the voice of god to hear his word 
what he's speaking, that God-spirited word, it's no good me just kind of um, just kind of reading my Bible, okay? If I just read through it and and it just I'm not paying any attention, I've just I've got to get through these two or three chapters today, otherwise I'll be behind on my reading program or whatever. The I guess there's value in that, but it's not the same as as really fueling up because you're not coming into the presence of God. You just if you're not letting it go in, if it's not making the journey from your head to your heart, then almost what's the point of that? Because it's, it's not having the effect that you need it to have. See, the text comes alive when it's combined with the spirit. text accompanied by the Spirit comes to life. We talk about God speaking. We've got these these three things. God speaks through Jesus. And we, we see that in the words of Jesus in, in the New Testament. We see kind of, you know, glimpses of that. And it says in the beginning of Hebrews that, that God speaks in these last days through his Son. Secondly, God speaks through the text. The text of the Bible, the scriptures, is a way that God speaks to us. And thirdly, God speaks through his spirit in us. If we take that idea of tabernacling, the presence of God tabernacling in Jesus, the presence of of God tabernacling in the writers as they wrote these scriptures, the presence of God is poured out on all believers in the New Testament, right? So the presence of God is tabernacling inside of us. What's interesting is, if it's God, then it's going to line up with all three of those. It's going to make sense throughout all three of those. There's there's one voice that God speaks in. It's in unity that God speaks. The Bible backs up the words that he speaks to, to us. So if you feel something in your spirit, like God's kind of challenging you or encouraging you in some way, you then expect it to be backed up. By the Bible. What's interesting is oftentimes you'll be feeling something in your spirit and you'll go to your Bible not expecting God to confirm or speak to you through that, and that's the moment when He does. Anyone experienced that before? Show of hands. Yeah? Good. See, the text comes alive when it's accompanied by the Spirit. If you want to do a um, a little equation. You've got the scripture plus the spirit equals life. Because it's that God-breathedness. And if God inspires, if, if, if the text is God-spirited, and um, the spirit dwells within us, the presence of God dwells within us, you can expect those two to come together. You can expect the spirit to be working through the text that's written down that the spirit inspired in the first place. That makes some sense. I think just as I finish, the the final point with this is if the text is alive, if the Bible is alive, if the scriptures are alive, then they call us to do something. Remember, the voice of God is not the purpose of the journey. 
The voice of God gives purpose to the journey. So if it's all working right, then it calls us to do something. It calls us to go. What's the point in fueling for the journey and then parking in the garage? A lot of people do that, don't they? Have their nice car, they'll they'll kind of wax it and wash it and, and all that kind of stuff. Probably the other way around. Um, and then they'll they'll kind of sit it outside the house or in the garage or whatever, maybe like a classic car or, or something. They'll never use it. Put a sheet over it. Hide it away. That's not what it was made for. And it's not what we, we are made for. There's a call, there's a commission. Just as the voice of God commissioned Elijah to go, the challenge really today is how is God commissioning you? How's God commissioning you? And if we're not listening to his voice, perhaps we don't know. But in a sense, if if we're not listening to his voice, we're not fueled up for the journey anyway. So if he's commissioning you to go, he's calling you to do something, you better know that he's going he's gonna to fuel you up. He's going to give you the fuel that you need to do what he's called you to do. If you're not in his presence, then you're not going to hear his voice. And if you're not hearing his voice, you're not fueled up for the journey and you're just kind of going on your own and you, you don't know where you're going. So how's God commissioning you? The, yeah, just just to close, let's let's get fueled. Let's get fueled up. Maybe it's we need to kind of stop at a petrol station, so to speak. Maybe we don't get into the presence of God enough. Don't know, Tom, if you uh, Isaac and that could come back up. Do we get into the presence of God enough? Do we stand before Him on the mountain? And when we hear his still small voice, hide away in the cave because we're scared of where it might take us. Or do we do what Elijah did and, and, and come out to the edge of the cave and listen when he's kind of speaking to us and get commissioned to go and do something? Get commissioned to go and make a change. Voice of God is not the purpose of the journey. The voice of God gives purpose to the journey. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.